On a Tuesday night in 2017, sometime after 1:30 a.m., a fire broke out in the Natural History Museum in New Delhi. It spread quickly through the specimens housed in the wooden cabinets and vials of chemicals. Almost everything was lost to the fire. The loss included rare specimens like the white tiger from Reva, the extinct Indian cheetah, a sauropod fossil on loan from the Indian Statistical Institute in Kolkata, and the museum archives stored on CDs. A rhinoceros or what we call a ganda stood in the foyer of the museum. Immortalized as its emblem, it was one of the few specimens that survived the unfortunate mysterious fire. Dark with soot, it was taken on a journey to a temporary home until a new museum is built, a need for which the far-right government had been propagating since it came to power in 2014. The museum was initiated by then Prime Minister Indira Gandhi in line with Jawaharlal Nehru's modernist secular vision for India. The right wing has constantly attacked and demolished post-independence modernist architecture in a bid to erase Nehru's legacy. A few centuries ago, another rhino made a journey across the Indian Ocean. The ganda was a gift from the king of Kambe in Gujarat to the Portuguese Empire in Goa. It was eventually gifted to Pope Leo X to earn his support for the Portuguese explorations in the Orient. The animal was dressed in green velvet collar and adorned with carnations and golden roses. The ship was caught in a violent storm off the coast of Genoa. and sank killing everyone on board although rhinos can swim the animal was tied and thus drowned its body was recovered stuffed with hay and gifted to the pope the pope was not pleased across the video essay karkadan of land and the dark seas we encounter many rhinos across land and water culture and politics from the prehistoric to the modernist in science religion museology and nationalisms it employs the fire at the natural history museum in delhi as a rupture in linear time a departure to encounter a range of rhinos in a range of conditions we trace its relationship to knowledge power colonialism and fascism using the internal the biological memorial and emotional the work attempts to conjure a diversity of histories from within the rhino instead of its physical exterior we replot a history that begins with two taxidermized gandas separated by time in their fate they were both tied to a turbulent political history an economy of gifts and excesses atrocities and exclusions fear and wonder Hi and welcome to another series of TBA21 on stage. We were just listening to artist Sahil Naik present his work Karkadan of Land and the Dark Seas. The piece was created as part of a collaboration with the Kochi Muzirist Biennale in an episode curated for TBA21 on stage by Mario de Souza. The title of this episode is Creating One's Own. the non-physical presence of stories and their lingering impact on architecture and it focuses on some of the architectural debates which influence Naik's artistic practice we'll now leave you with our host Ala Yunus 
Enjoy! Hello everyone, my name is Ala Yunis. I'm an artist and a curator and research scholar. I'm happy today to be here in a conversation with uh, researcher Dina Taha and with artist Alias. We are responding through uh, looking in our own work in relationship to the uh, video by artist Sahil Naid. The first ideas that come to mind when uh, knowing the work of Sahil and uh, seeing this uh, new work by him is how Sahil puts together these layers of architecture versus the people's like use or reuse or uh, recycling of these uh, motifs of architectural um, presence that are surrounding us in the cities that we come from. When we showed Sahil's work in Beirut in 2019, in a show about publishing, um, one of the participating artists who was also from Baghdad stood in front of uh, his of Sahil's renders of um, imaginary architecture that is put together from fragments of modern architecture. And he said, these are all like the buildings that we had in Baghdad. So thus, this artist could see how these models or prototypes or motifs or impressions of architecture um, that Sahel composed from compromising maybe the, the presence of many other types of architecture might still as well be representative of someone's else architecture. So this imagination of what a piece of architecture can represent or carry or house became like very interesting to me beyond the immediate uh, source of that uh, drawing or of the motifs that appeared in that drawing. We have also come from places that these uh, pieces of architecture are used in particular way, sometimes in very mainstream, sometimes rebellious, sometimes oppressive, sometimes um, entertainment. So there's always, of course, these uses of the buildings. But we have seen also how the meaning of the use of the building is also changing as per the time or the regime or the people's like willingness to engage with what is offered about these pieces of architecture. So it is not only what how the piece of architecture looks like or what it houses, but also what it stands for in the time of its use and perhaps also in the time of its destruction. To destruct a piece of architecture doesn't mean only to break it down into pieces. It can also be about the change of use or the not using it anymore or the change of users. So we are also looking at states or regimes that also use destruction as much as they are using construction as a means to communicate with the people or to communicate their power. In this case, about the use of destruction and the change of purpose of buildings, I would like to talk to Dina Taha. Dina, you're an architect, also a researcher. And you are always looking closely at the presence of these architectural monuments, how they were put together or came together, what did they do 
in the area um, that surrounds them, like their images, what do they imply, what do they mean to people, but also when they are layered with other pieces of architecture, what does this layering do? And when one layer is changed or missing or repurposed, what does that do to, you know, our cognition of the role of this architecture or the role that this architecture is playing and what the force, whether it's the state or the company or, you know, the owner of the building and how they're changing its use or its presence in the city is affecting or conveying uh, a message of particular type. I'm really glad you, you brought up this point about layering, actually, because that's something I'm really interested in and some of the photographic works that I uh, take, primarily in Cairo, which is where I'm from. And a lot of the pictures I take are in Nas City. And Nas City was uh, this ambitious proposal by Gamal Abdel Nasser, envisioned after the 1952 revolution. And then now you have this other layer added to it where there is infrastructure that is intended to connect the citizens of Cairo to the new administrative capital that's being planned by the current political regime. So in this image, you have the houses that were built in the last century, and then you have this very dominating, like almost support for the, for the tram in the foreground. And so you see this uh, juxtaposition of how different, you know, rulers or presidents envision these new futures. Okay, so the buildings, normally they linger, yeah, they live for a while, if not like for as much as, as long as possible of time. But also when we take photographs of particular locations or pieces of architecture, we are also kind of uh, grasping or trying to freeze a moment in time and uh, or a situation or an impression. And as we revisit these photographs from time to time, and while these times has changed or not, we are also like addressing this lingered moment, right? This moment of uh, why we took it, how we took it, how do we come back, why do we come back to it, and what do we see when we come back to it? So tell us about the act of taking a photograph and how you felt. Yeah, this frozen moment, or maybe you have not thought about frozen moment, maybe you thought about some other relations and when this act of taking the photograph. The documentation started because the city was just changing so fast. So for that uh, support structure is one of many, like it's one that connects to the capital, but actually through Nasa city, there's like four other bridges that like bisect the plan perpendicularly. So I was away for a few years and I came back and I just noticed that everything was changing so, so fast. So it started purely to document, but then I, I kept coming back to this image and I guess it's to your point about lingering. And I wondered like, what is it that keeps me coming back to this image? And I think a part of it is that one element that's documented is the buildings, but then in the foreground, you only have a section of this structure, right? So I feel like the image, it acts both as evidence of something that happened in a moment but it almost also documents this promise of something that's to come or this future that's being consistently promised right and so for me it i keep coming back to it because i keep 
reimagining what are the possibilities that come once this structure is completed, right? So does this mean central Cairo is going to be emptied out? Does it mean the buildings that are in the background might ultimately be demolished if some kind of expansion needs to happen? Socially, what does that also mean for us, you know? So I think for me, it's really the speculative aspect that keeps me going back to this image. Um, definitely it will have like its effect on certain people is different from other people. So some will welcome the change, some will, uh, or the reuse or the repurpose or the demolition and others will like in on different levels, you know, people are going to receive this uh, change. So Cairo is full of these monuments that kind of uh, refer to the modern time, to the time when Nasser was pro- making a lot of promises as part of the, also the non-aligned movement, um, uh, like Egypt's presence within the non-aligned movement and its relationship with these other geographies or other states uh, that are around the region. They were also building their own experiments of architecture. So there are two levels of stories when we talk about architecture that you see in Cairo. Similar to how that comment about, you know, this type of architecture also exists in Baghdad, you know. So there are all these, like, there's, like, international, there's local, and there's, like, multi, of course, generational uh, views or, or or imagination of what this architecture is. How do you also factor that in your own work when you are also, like, thinking about the change of views and do you think about, you know, Cairo as an alienated image from how it might have looked like, you know, somewhere, somewhere that is... Um, uh, common or familiar based on this type of networking that was happening? Or do you feel that it became like, become, become familiar on a different level, like with a new aesthetic? Ironically, what I think is very familiar is the fact that so much has changed. Like post-independence, there ha- there's this moment that modern buildings are... I don't know if it's a political understanding or a collective understanding where these buildings can be demolished at any moment or they don't hold the same value as buildings that are considered in quotes historic buildings. Um, so I think they carry a different value in that way. And so somehow they, they're more susceptible to being demolished. And so I think for me, that's the commonality between these uh, different things. And so like going back to this question of speculation, that's also something I think about, like this future that might be extended out of this one image is also completely susceptible to change just because it fits within this narrative of, you know, if it doesn't work or if in, you know, a decade or two, somebody else is in charge, this could all be changed again. Going back to this idea of aesthetics, I think this has to do with how that speculated future is historically positioned, right? This current administrative capital, for example, everyone that has been a part of it talks about this reference to these pharaonic motifs all the time. And I think the value of thinking more closely about that is in the same way we're speculating about the future, it needs to be anchored in some moment in the past, right? So I think that's the value that monuments play, like hold at this moment. It's never disconnected from what happened in the past. So it's always going to be read in reference, right? 
So they are, as you like to call them, evidence, right? This is like some sort of an evidence that is used to uh, build uh, some sort of a theory or undo that theory or kind of counter it somehow, right? And what is happening in every stage of uh, administration of the of the city or the country or the state. So, uh, like, as we discussed with Dina, the, this very heavy presence of, you know, objects or monuments inside the city that is called architecture or pieces of architecture, monuments, buildings of different times and different uh, purposes and uh, like continuous activation of these buildings as when within like a city or state narratives uh, there's an architecture of non-physical presence of things such as like stories or imaginations or very uh, sometimes traumatic sometimes very happy depends you know moments that uh, also live in the city or live in the state or live in the narrative that kind of lingers and recycles and reshapes its own uh, storytellers or users, or where it sits sometimes in the subconscious, but sometimes comes to the con- you know to the foreground and becomes like the main story. You are an artist, and also a runner, and so you push your body and you push your like knowledge and you push your self into states that basically calls for the non-conventional use of, you know, the body or its consciousness or its ability to deal with the surrounding, whether the surrounding is physical and monumental or is also imaginary and and uh, oral. So it's basically transforming in a particular way. And this leads to uh, sometimes surfacing of certain creatures or stories or patterns or motifs again in your own paintings uh, that you also meet inside the painting procedure. You always have these like also ways or fascinating ways I find into relating to uh, stories that come from particular contexts that are not necessarily only your context. So tell us about this non-physical presence of things or stories that become also an architecture of its time. You know, it's like this, this, it keeps striking me, this idea of, of creatures in general, especially animals, like, because this is what first thing came on my, on my mind while seeing and reading about Sehil's work is this, the renaissance. And, and I remember immediately, uh, a story that fifties if I remember well happened once in Vubata, the city west of Germany, when they have a elephant. I think it was an circus elephant. And then because the city it's for some reason, architectural reason that yeah. I'm not quite aware of, uh, a bit about. Anyway, they have the metro or the train like kind on the city, like up, not under ground. So when they while the trans Fortation of the elephant, the elephant for somehow jump from the train itself and jump in the river, you know. So, this momentum, you know, it's like there is a lot, you know, you could imagine 
inside the train how is how is the scene if, if you are in the city and you see that you know which is which is that what interests me like that kind of moments and stories you know because also this reminds me of one of scenes of for Haruki Murakami's novel I think Kafka on Beach when it's flying fishes you know and this flying fishes I remember it's it's a common image that that I I, I saw it or I used to see it in my childhood while people fishing, you know, for, for like, it's different techniques, different, different medium that used anyway, but with time and with getting cold and, or time passing, you know, the structure of, of the story itself change. Like, then it's like, and this is where the whole, what they call it, I think the, magical realism you know it's like okay did that happen or not did my mind invading this and or you know because this is a friend great friend of mine she worked uh, as a translator like say it's like okay she had nephews but the nephews never lived the time of during the time of her grandfather but when the, they grow up they start talking about the grandfather and grandparents as they were there and with time like like she's her opinion, no, it's still undefended. Um, she said that maybe that's because of stories that we were telling when they were really small. Yeah, one of the things that I do, it's painting, you know. So for me, it's like the momentum, the momentum that because the medium that I use, the the, the shapes or the forms they 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 start to grow or to appear, you know. So because I believe, you know, this is from even entering quite early the the school of art you know it's it's the artist's job or painter let's say their job it's it's to lead or combine the the the, the shapes it's not i don't have a better interpretation or better imaginary than than anyone else but sometimes i'm lucky to have some some stories that i find or i think you know because this is also a story of time later to to defend to argue about so then it's to lead these shapes and bring them to, to, to a certain level of interpretation. So this is, um, this is I don't know how connected like with, with the practice and narration, but this is like the, that moment, you know, and mainly, mainly, mainly landscape, you know, because one of the things also I'm doing, I'm, I'm, I'm a runner more or less the last 10 years. I, I, I mainly run middle long distance so this is for example being in landscape being in nature you know i don't like it. Uh, trade mill you know it's nice it's a great thing to do but you are in your place you know but when you run outside you know it's you are like your body it's in the nature and you're hitting the ground the ground which is crazy here because even this is like i believe almost all my life like this ground it's a stable you know and it's the most grounding thing you know by each step you are grounding literally your knees you know it's i know it's a horrible thing to do for your body or for your knees specifically but this ground thing even here like it's sometimes shaking you know like if i'm talking about earthquakes and so on and so on but but i want to about landscape because also it's funny now i'm thinking about about germany um in Berlin, for example, um, if you are sitting in a restaurant, wherever, like taking a bus, and you see a fox inside the city. That's really, really like it's almost each single time it's, it's bring me to, it bring my tears out. It's like 
that's sad, you know, especially if, if it is a moment of crossing street or they are really confused what we are, what we did, you know, say, I'm not talking this dramatical way of uh, what we did. It's their space or place and we make buildings and so on and so on. But how is this life, you know, changed to this place? And this is, this is connected to our bodies. I can't say it's related to generation of immigration, uh, refugees, uh, it's a mirror, you know, it's where you see yourself inside, inside that landscape, you know, because the landscape brutally changed to with this anymore. So I'm talking about forks in specific context with Berlin because it used to be forest and then, you know, and they still living, you know, they are still surviving. And this is how politically can interpret it to other, to other places. Story. I think this is amazing because uh, also in, okay, so Ali normally lives uh, near Berlin and in Berlin and he's today in Tokyo for um, exchange program. He wakes up to an earthquake every day. And, uh, you know, on Sadiat Island uh, in Abu Dhabi also sometimes we see deers and these deers are sensitive, but like when we see them, like we're kind of like, what, what, what are they doing here? But like, in fact, what are we doing on their island, right? So they are the indigenous to the island. And it's just the other way around from the rhinos, uh, rhino story or the elephant story that we, we have talked about. Like, you know, they are brought out of their, you know, their own environment into a new environment. So there are these two places here where they are. You bring an animal or you bring a creature into a different, it's like uh, an environment that is not it or the other way around. And still in both cases, uh, we see this as anomaly or something as a spectacle, right? So you spoke also about this, like borderlines of imaginations that basically the stories have borderlines too. And these borderlines, they shape the imagination of people. So, and, you know, in any story, or like some stories can have this like very spectacle, you know, and um, quality to it. And some might have the scary, you know, uh, part of it. And some like, you know, they entice sadness or anger. So what is the borderlines of stories that you see? And that, you know, how do you feel that they shape the imagination of people? Well, I don't know how, how to answer this question. But I would say for me, the borderline for story, it's, it's, it's my life, how, how, how I live within this, this, this country, you know, so it's more about a vivid experience, uh, physical or, or even like emotional, like, or, or, or how we say, um, psychological, you know, because even this is like, like time doesn't exist, but we saw the time, the effect of time, you know, it's like, so, so this is. You know, getting old, for example, or if you put your hands on iron or on fire for three seconds, other hand for three seconds on the eyes, they are the same, but the other one feels like, oh, it's been forever. So, yeah, this is also like a mirage or, or it's like illusion or it's like, ah, this is longer than that and so on and so on. But I think it's, it's the status of the things itself, you know, because we live or the, the movement, uh, the notion of such being living, it's, it's moving because you could also stay like in static, but you are technically, you are moving, you know, there is no such zero standing in place, you know, it's a moment of such resistance, for example, 
you stay in your place, you are moving or staying in your place, you know, and keep moving, keep holding, you know, to stand on this, on this, on this place. It's, it's, it's a movement. And around that, it's, it's how this, the evolving of images. This is, this is also like visually, it's, it's something interesting. I've been interesting. Even there where I more or less went or trying to go uh, more in the direction of moving images and films where I make some images about how is the passing time inside a scene or, or, or image. And so there are all these like creatures in your paintings that are mostly um, triggered by this particular moment in your past where you've seen the destruction or the looting of uh, of, uh, of Baghdad museums, but there are also these like the creatures that appear in your in your works. That as you are trying to deal with them, that you see like you start also from this moment of familiarity. Oh, this like kind of looks like the mustache of someone I know. It's it's related to projects, you know. Sometimes like yeah, I feel this is related to that specific moment, and this is a great chance to have this space for healing let's say I, I, i'm not quite sure about how i feel towards this word but it's let's say for the lack of a better word it's it's healing you know but sometimes we are living in surrounding of images like on daily basis like that we interact with with images so i can't stop myself to interact also reactionary with these images the the, the sparking moment is just a start to curate another timeline suggested it's imaginary timeline which is um, here what i'm interested to examine these 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 imaginary stories are they livable are they could like like could live could could be some some objects like objects not also um in the sense for artistic practice but also like something i care about human connection you know exchange for example like like letters and so on and so on I think that's amazing. Uh, also, point to close on because there's a great uh, also link between how you know what we impose of meanings. I mean, we are so in the situations that you both describe. There are um, there are these situations, or there are these like actions, and there are these like how the actions look like. You know how they are rendered, whether in pieces of architecture, reuse, repurpose, visits. Uh, infiltration of animals or expulsion of animals but also like even the colors of a person's face and what do we take of all these like notes and observations into our own consciousness and add our own meanings or interpretation to all these uh, factors or elements or observe like uh, or renders of of performance right of the performance of any of these characters and how we speculate, what do they mean? What do they mean for us in uh, relation to, you know, what we understand as the past or what we understand as the time has gone and also in how we are moving forward. Uh, it is interesting and fascinating uh, as like to understand how or to notice together how like modern architecture is dealt as something that is still like, as an old person that is not so old enough to respect or protect, you know, like like for everybody to accept for, that we should protect. 
and so it falls into this like precarity of you know having no laws to protect it or to just la- let it l- live a little longer so here our uh, intervention or 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 effect on it is immediate somehow and i feel the same is happening to all these um to all these like interpreta- interpretations and observations that we're collecting of the of the times that we live in that we are uh, taking uh, or putting the effort to judge and reassess and reshape, you know, how and what we think of them all the time. And I see that as act of courage, but also as act of uh, sometimes revenge uh, over what is happening. And I am just interested in both. I mean, what is, in, what is provoking all these elements? So I'd like to thank you very much for thinking and talking together about these uh, elements. I I know like uh, these are just like impressions of one half an hour of exchange and trying to reflect on it too. But uh, what I'm enjoying is that these are uh, lifelong conversations that we've been having uh, with each of you separately and now the three of us. And uh, I'm happy that this is also happening in relationship to um, an artist's work and a curator's also like other curator, curatorial and artistic intervention. Yeah, within the context of Sahel's work and and uh, Mario D'Souza and uh, and Kochi Binale and TBA Twenty One and everybody else. So I am happy that the conversation is going in multi directions and hope for more of these conversations to take place soon. Thank you very much. TBA21 on stage is editor-in-chief is Francesca thiessen Bonamitza. Content curator, Soledad Gutierrez. Curatorial assistant, John Aranguren. Project manager, Nina Speranda. Audio editor, Roberto Bosoms. Theme music, Carl Michael van Hauswolf. And I am Madeline Robinson. Thank you for listening.